Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest is Brian Murray. Thanks for being on the show, Brian. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. I met Brian at a mastermind a while back and I was impressed just at his level of success in the multifamily industry and his ability to be able to jump into this industry and helping others do the same is impressive. And we're going to get into that. But Brian is the founder and CEO of Washington Street Properties, a commercial real estate investment and property management company that has been ranked on the incorporated 500, 5,000 list of the nation's fastest growing private companies for five years in a row. Wow. In 2015, Brian was recognized with a Gold Stevie Award for Executive of the Year in the real estate industry. Brian is author of the best-selling and award-winning book, Crushing It in Apartments and Commercial Real Estate, which has sold more than 50,000 copies since publication in 2017. Wow, Brian, I'm honored to have you on the show and give the listeners a little more about who you are in case they haven't heard of you. And then let's jump in. Absolutely. First off, I'm a huge fan of your show. So it's a real honor to be here. Thank you. I started back in 2007, put my first property under contract. I was a teacher at the time, was really looking to supplement my income. And I always been fascinated by real estate. So started looking at properties and took the somewhat unusual step that my first property was a 50,000 square foot office building, but I got a great deal on it. And I I just jumped right in with both feet and really had no idea what I was doing, but I I managed to figure it out along the way. And that property was a lot of work and it was difficult to turn around, but I was able to do that. And a couple of years later, I picked up my second property and another turnaround project and then three more after that. And at this point, I've grown a a pretty good size multifamily and commercial portfolio. So we've got about $55 million portfolio right now that we own and operate. And one thing that might be fascinating to some of your listeners, but we actually did not raise money for any of that. We were able to add value property by property and refinance those properties, pull cash out and, and buy the next ones. And it's only been over the past year that I've gotten to understand syndication and have started to look at doing that myself. Wow. Well, you've been very successful. I mean, $55 million portfolio without syndicating anything. That's very impressive. But I want to back up a little bit. You said you mentioned that you were a teacher and you got into real estate. And I think a lot of listeners probably in that same boat where they're working full time and they're wanting to get into real estate. Can you elaborate on that a little bit in that process? Because your first property wasn't a duplex or single family home either. So maybe you can elaborate on how did you have the confidence or the education to jump into that type of property right off the bat, even while working full time? Well, I'm not going to say it wasn't scary. It definitely was. I had had a career change. I had worked in the tech sector and had a little bit larger income. What I really became concerned about was noticing that, hey, my savings that I had accumulated over the years was gradually dwindling away instead of growing. And nobody wants to see that. And I knew I had to make a change and and turn that around. So real estate seemed like the way to do that. I knew that owning real estate for my own personal use was really not a good thing in terms of how that consumed my resources. 
But I looked at rental properties and said, hey, this is a way I can shift my money into that and it'll pay me. I wanted to see my net worth grow every month. And real estate just seemed perfect for that. And of course, I started looking at single family homes and duplexes and reading as many books as I could. And I looked at a lot of properties. I looked at properties for probably six months until I realized that, hey, as as I looked at larger properties, I found better returns. And I kept reading more books. And at one point, a broker came to me and said, hey, I've got a pretty large property here. I know it's outside of the range of what you said you can afford, but they're willing to work with you and they might be able to do owner financing. And that had seemed like an abstract concept up to that point. But once it was brought to me, it definitely seemed real. And that particular property didn't work out for me. But then I realized that, hey, there's ways to get into much larger properties, even if you don't have, say, 25% down. And ultimately, the property that I ended up buying, I was able to assume the mortgage on that. And I took literally all of my savings at the time. I even cashed in my retirement account, which by the way, I'm not advocating for your listeners, (laughs) but that's what I had to do. And I just was convinced that I could make this work. I I saw all the waste at this property and I knew that, hey, some of the things that were going on just weren't right and I could change it. And so I just decided, hey, it's time to make a change and make things better. And this was my path that I found. And so I just leapt in and I'm not going to pretend I was a super brave soul that didn't have a lot of fears, but ultimately I did pull the trigger and thankfully it worked out. Well, you were brave, no doubt. Uh, I mean, to have cashed out, you said your retirement and put your savings in as well? Yeah. I think one of the things that was reassuring is I began to realize that you don't have to do it on your own. And almost anything that I couldn't figure out as I analyzed it, I realized that I could ask somebody else. I could pick up a phone and call somebody. And I think if there was one thing that was reassuring, it was the fact that you can track somebody down to answer almost any question or help you get through almost any problem you might find. And the more I realized that, that gave me a little more confidence that, hey, maybe I can pull this off. I like that. I haven't heard anyone say that like that. Because you do, right? When you're first getting started, there's times you feel like you're by yourself. You don't know who you know, you would even ask, but there are people that are willing to help. That's incredible. You know, you mentioned that almost any problem that you face, obviously there's people that's already been in your shoes, you know, in that place, had that specific problem and then finding them or finding someone that's just ahead of you, right? That can help you through that issue. Absolutely. I think in my book, I had equated the boiler and utility room at this property to a spaceship when I walked in and it might as well have been. There were controls everywhere and dials and knobs and levers. And I had no idea what I was looking at. But again, I could pick up the phone and call somebody who specialized in that and they could come in and immediately explain things to me and fix any type of problem. And by the time I had the property for a few weeks, I was able to actually turn a boiler on and off. And even though when I first walked in, I didn't even know what that thing was. (laughs) (laughs) Now you can fly to the moon in that spaceship, right? Probably, probably. Yeah. Yeah. So, Brian, you know, I know you mentioned, you know, in your book, you help people to be able to jump in and not be intimidated. You mentioned that's what you did. And obviously, so, I mean, you jumped in. I would almost bet that that's one reason why you were successful, because you went all in. You didn't just dabble a little bit, but by committing, like, I mean, putting your retirement, putting your savings in there, you were committed. I mean, you didn't have an option for this to fail. No, I absolutely didn't. And 
I really do believe that if I could pull that off, anybody else could too. And it's really a mindset. I think I was fortunate to have sort of this epiphany that, hey, these large properties, this is something I could actually own. This is something I could actually do. And that was a change for me. And I know that there's so many people out there who are toying with this idea and they don't think they can do it when actually they could probably do it and do it better than I did. But what I think is really important to understand is know what you're signing up for. So I don't in any way want to say that it's easy, right? So if somebody wants to do it, you're going to have to jump in with both feet. And that means rolling up your sleeves and doing a lot of work. I just spent countless hours reading, listening to podcasts, educating myself, talking to people. And that's not even touching all the work that I had to do on the property itself once I made the acquisition, like leading up to the acquisition and making the acquisition, because I actually managed the property myself as well. And that's part of how I made it work. Because like you mentioned, there was too much at stake. I had everything on the line and I wasn't ready to trust that by outsourcing it to a property management company. Had no problems getting help, but I wanted to be there to oversee things. I wanted to be close by so that I could check on things every day and roll my own sleeves up and pick up trash and do the yard work and do everything I could to make that work. So how soon from, say, this purchase to you left your W-2 job? So I grew my company for seven years until I left my W-2. And it's kind of ironic because I wanted to do this for the extra income. But as I began to turn the property around and I realized how important every single dollar was to making this property cash flow and grow my real estate business, I became really stubborn about making sure I did not take money out of my business. And so I really did not want to leave my W-2. And I enjoyed teaching. I found it very rewarding. And you know, actually, at one point, my intent was to hire a CEO. And I did have somebody do that for a while. And it just wasn't the same. And my company had grown to the point I had quite a few employees that were counting on me. And so eventually, I just didn't have a choice. I knew that I was not willing to do both and have to not do them well. So if, when I reached a point and I said, I can't give both of these my all and do a really good job at both. I knew that one had to be set aside and I wasn't about to set aside my business that I'd worked so hard to grow. So unfortunately, I stopped teaching. Wow. So that's an interesting turn. I feel like most people that are wanting to leave their W-2 as fast as possible, right? But in your case, it was necessity. Like you've seen, okay, to, to keep this business going the best that it can and for you to be in it like you have to be to make it happen, you had to leave the W-2. You had to make a choice. I think that if you leave your W-2 and you lose that income, you do make it harder to grow your business. That business is going to have to feed you in addition to itself. And so in my opinion, if you're really serious about growing your real estate business as large as you can, you want to hang on to that other source of income for as long as you can so you don't have to siphon money off of your business. Hmm. So... Brian, talk to the listener who is, who's on the fence right now from jumping in. Maybe they feel intimidated. You know, I feel like you can really speak to that from your experience. And obviously, you've written a book that covers it as well. And help us to be able to jump in like that. And I don't know, give us some more details or examples maybe that so we can do the same. First off, you don't necessarily have to manage your own property, right? So that makes it even more demanding. But I think there's this mindset out there that you have to start small. You have to start with a duplex or start even with a single family home. 
And as someone who's gone through it and has owned a lot of properties at this point, I will tell you that there's really not that much difference in if you have experience with a single family home and you can figure that out, you could do the same with say a 15 unit apartment building. And like I said, the resources are out there, the books are out there, the podcasts are out there. I mean, anyone that's listening into the show has a step up. That means that they're taking that action to learn how to do it and get more comfortable and learn what they don't know. But if you're waiting until you think you know everything, then that's not going to work either. You actually have to be comfortable saying, you're going to make mistakes. I make mistakes every day. So part of it would be just accepting that up front and say, I know I'm going to make mistakes. I know I'm going to have setbacks. I know something's going to happen I didn't anticipate. But hey, I'll get through it. I have confidence that I can work my way through it, or I can bring somebody else on board or consult with somebody who has been through it. And they can help me to avoid as many of those mistakes as possible and work through them when they happen. No, I love that. You have to have that mindset, right? Of knowing that it's going to happen, accepting that you're going to make mistakes. I liked how you said that. And it reminds me, I've mentioned it before on the show, but I just really like this analogy. Uh, Terrell Fletcher, he's a professional football player. I think I'm not in football, but he spoke somewhere at a conference one time and he was talking about mindset. But as far as in football, he related it to the football team to be successful. They have to love the process because they know what's at the end. They know they're going to win if they love the process. And he just said, if that means the process is getting hit in the face 10 times, then let's get started now. Because he knows at the end of that 10th time, like he's going to make it. He's going to be stronger and he's going to succeed. But you got to be willing to get hit in the face a few times. You have to love the process. And it sounds very similar to you have to know you're going to make mistakes and just accept that. But also this relates to, you know, you're talking about how you just got to be willing to make a phone call, right? You got to be willing to reach out to some others who have been there. That's right. You can't, can't be afraid of rejection. You got to know that you're going to have to try and try and try again. And eventually you're going to get there. Is there an example that you could give us maybe you know, as you were going into this process of the mistake that stands out or sometime where you were like, oh, you know, I've got to find somebody to help me with this or something that was happening? My difficulty answering that actually has nothing to do with not being able to find one. It has to do with the fact that they do happen every single day. So for one to stand out and yeah, it should really reinforce it. It's definitely not something that you want to plan to do alone and having that self-awareness right up front to recognize what your limitations are is another really important piece of that. Because if you can't recognize that, hey, for instance, this is some pretty complicated legal work, it's time to get an attorney involved. You don't want to enter with this illusion that you're capable of doing everything. So being humble about that and really self-aware is important. Almost everything that I did for quite some time really had to have somebody involved. So, But there's no one single thing that, that kind of stands out. But through that process, you've learned a lot. And now your problems have changed, right? Now it's going to be a different set of problems now. But the mindset that you've instilled that you have now, because of all those little problems back to back, it's just these big ones now don't probably don't seem as big. Yeah, you know, you really become accustomed to it. You come to expect it. And I think if you have a day where you don't have a setback or something doesn't go wrong, then you're surprised. It doesn't really happen. And it probably means you something did go wrong. and You don't know about it yet. <laughs> But that was part of my real motivation for writing the book is I said, well, I've made so many mistakes. Well, I wish someone had kind of chronicled all the things they'd learned and all the mistakes they'd made that they could have shared with me and helped me avoid some of them. And the teacher in me wanting to help as many people learn as possible. And that's really what prompted writing the book. You've built a successful business. You've done really well in real estate already. And, but now you're moving towards syndication. Why the move towards syndication? Why not keep doing what you're doing and keep growing that direction? 
So that's a great question. And it's one that I've wrestled with a lot. I think that the biggest reason I've jumped in and learned everything I could about syndication and met some great people such as yourself, at some point, it does become challenging to maintain the growth rate that we've experienced with the size that we've achieved without bringing in any type of outside capital. So we sort of reach that phase where we have to either accept that we're going to grow a lot slower than we have historically, or we're going to open that up and provide opportunities for investors to come in. And I think also it could be rewarding to help others who invest achieve those goals. Now, there's a lot of trade-offs with that. We haven't actually syndicated a deal yet, but that's the reason why. And the, the flip side of that, when you syndicate, it does have some limitations in terms of if you lose that flexibility in terms of reinvesting all that cash back into the property, because of course, an investor is going to want to be receiving returns on that investment early on, hopefully throughout the life of the project. Sometimes in our experience, a project maybe can unlock even greater value if you continue to reinvest that money back in and you have the patience to wait and see that large return down the road. So it's by no means an easy decision. Like I said, we haven't actually done a syndication yet, but I have so much respect for all those syndicators out there and I've learned a lot from them. And it's been very, very interesting to be involved in, in the underwriting process of some of these projects to have the opportunity to share our experience with syndicators and seeing that other model and how it has put together and implemented. So Brian, from your experience, you've gained a lot of experience in multifamily, commercial property, and then you're learning a lot about syndication now and possibly moving that direction or, or adding that to your business. Somebody asked you now, you got 30 seconds with somebody or maybe a minute. Brian, you know, what's the best way to get started? What, what's a couple of things I should be doing, Brian, to get into this industry or, or to learn this business? What do you tell them? I think read as many books as you can, listen to as many podcasts as you can, surround yourself with as many knowledgeable people as you can. I've had such a great experience with the mastermind that I'm in. I've met some great friends and good people. And there's so many forums out there that you can attend, you know, attend your local meetup for meet other people who are trying to do or are already doing what you're doing. And that can be so inspiring to surround yourself with, with people who are already doing or, or want to do exactly what you want to do. And what's the number one thing we could do right now to improve our business or maybe some way that you've recently improved yours? Let's not forget that tenants are customers and tenants are people. And it can be very easy as an investor to just look at your spreadsheet and see numbers and forget that the tenants, we like to call them residents in, instead of apartments, homes or residences. And if you keep that in mind and you remember that these are your customers and they're the ones who are putting all the money in, then that'll affect your decision-making process. And it'll make sure that you operate with a high level of integrity and with customer service. And those will ultimately pay you back in the long run and make you the most successful you can be. You get caught up on the business side, right? And you get down and you know, looking at spreadsheets and all this stuff and you forget, to, okay, let's think about if I was a tenant in that building myself. But Brian, what's the number one thing that's contributed to your success? I can't take credit for it myself. I think it's all the people that have helped me along the way. So it would be the employees that I've had, the tenants that I've had, the contractors, all the service providers. Every time I've needed help, there's been somebody there and I get all the credit, but I don't deserve the credit. I like that. It is a team sport. 
And so how do you like to give back? There's a lot of little things we do, but I'd have to say two ways. Our tagline at my company is making the world a better place, one square foot at a time. We really like to look at what we do as providing clean, healthy homes, great places for people to live, that they're getting the best return on their investment as residents or businesses that they can get and make their lives a little better. And I want to see as many people go into real estate investing and be successful as possible because it really is one of those last bastions of the American dream in terms of if you're willing to work hard enough and do what it takes, it you can improve the quality of life for yourself and your family and your loved ones. And I spent more than two years with every spare moment I could possibly find writing my book so that I could help other people do that. It's been one of the most rewarding things that I've ever experienced to get feedback from so many people who have been inspired by that or taken action in some way to make their lives better through real estate investing. Well, Brian, tell the listeners how they can get in touch with you, learn more about you and your business, and also purchase a copy of your book. You can find me on linkedin.com. You can find me on Facebook. Our website is washingtonstreetproperties.com. And my book is Crushing It in Apartments and Commercial Real Estate by Brian Murray. And you can find that on amazon.com. Great. And we'll have links to that in the show notes and on the website. And I hope that the listeners will reach out to you, Brian. I hope they'll check out your website and buy your book as well. And also, I hope the listeners will go to LifeBridge Capital and connect with me. I hope you'll go to the Facebook group, the Real Estate Syndication Show, so we can all learn from experts like Brian and grow our businesses together. I hope you're sharing the show. I would definitely appreciate that. So I can add value to as many people as possible, of course. And then join us here tomorrow. We'll talk to you then. Thank you, Whitney. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate, while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital. Making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success. 